the Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Not an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and my guest this hour is uh, professor of film at Brooklyn College and the author of uh, several books on film and theater, including uh, his recent book, uh, about Otto Preminger. His name is Foster Hirsch. The book is Otto Preminger, The Man Who Would Be King. And Foster joins me by phone. Hi, Foster. Welcome to the show. Yes, hi, Tom. Thanks. Good to be here. Um, <laughs> Otto Preminger had a little bit of a reputation um, as, as being uh, Otto the Terrible. Was he that tough on people? He certainly has a reputation. You're right about that. He could be a Germanic tyrant, born in Vienna, but there was a Germanic streak there. Yes, he was. He could be tyrannical. He could be autocratic. He could be very demanding, and he could also be extraordinarily charming, generous, and compassionate. I was gonna. I was gonna say, you know, at at the same time that he was, you know, had that bossy side going. He was also considered one of the more progressive. Absolutely, absolutely. He was way ahead of the curve in terms of depiction of race. He was a lifelong member of the NAACP. He wouldn't have known what racism is. He was very accepting of difference, sexual difference, uh, minorities, racial differences, um, opposed totally to censorship and uh, an advocate for free speech and freedoms. Um, he, he was a mixture, and he would yell and scream and lose his temper on the set. 
very complicated man. Now I have I have a um, a favorite Otto Preminger movie. It's it's one of the hundred films in my top ten. Um, yes. And it's uh, Anatomy of a Murder because it was filmed. Oh my God! Yes, it was yeah. filmed in my home state of Michigan, in the Upper Peninsula, where you know you wouldn't expect to see Hollywood types ever. And I was uh, in Marquette a few years ago, and at their local convention bureau or tourist uh, agency, um, they had brochures that basically laid out for you to to visit on your own an anatomy of a murder tour yes of, of all the places they filmed and where the actors stayed and where they ate and all that and and i took the tour i went to all the places i and i had so much fun doing it oh that's great they the the good people of marquette invited me to do a book event there when when the original hardcover edition came out and I took the tour auto hated studio shooting every shot in anatomy of of a murder is shot on location in the upper peninsula every image in that film is on location and people I, I assume you'd agree feel that the film captures the particular light and scenery and atmosphere of the Upper Peninsula. Am I right? Oh, it, it absolutely does. I've seen the movie many times, and of course, you know, as you did, I took the tour. And and I didn't mention that this book has been out for a while, but it's... Um, just out in paperback uh, today, actually, or, or a day ago. just came out. In yeah, and it's, and it's an updated uh, edition. Um but and I was going to ask you, and I think maybe you already sort of answered it. Um, why he chose to film the to do the film in the Upper Peninsula? But it sounds like he probably preferred location shooting. On he loves location shooting, and when he went on a, a scouting expedition to the Upper Peninsula, he loved the quality of light there. He he liked the the atmosphere, the scenic atmosphere, but. But light, because you're up in a particular place. And I noted, too, that there is a particular aspect of the lighting there um, that creates shadows. And he thought it was very dramatic. And you see the results in the film. Oh, yeah. It's it's an incredible film. But he's also credited for having uh, shot the first uh, scene that takes place in a, uh, in a gay bar. That's an advice and consent. The first scene in American film that deals, that is set in a gay bar, but also that deals openly with the subject of homosexuality in 1962 when advice and consent was made, that subject was off the table. It was a, a sort of forbidden, unmentionable subject. He did the same thing with drug addiction in uh, Man with the Golden Arm, 1955. You, you were Hollywood had a, a a prohibition against that subject. He made the film and released it without the production code seal of approval. Otto was a man who was willing to take chances and who did what he wanted. And he had the money, the position, and the power to do that. that you know, it's, it, it's funny. I didn't, I'm embarrassed to admit this, Foster, but I didn't realize advising consent 
was an Otto Preminger film, and I've seen it many times. It's it's another one of those favorite movies. I must be a bigger Otto Preminger fan than I even realized. Anatomy of a Murder and Advice and Consent, I, I think, are two of the greatest films ever made in America, and they're about American institutions. Anatomy of a Murder is about our system of trial by jury, which Otto who, by the way, was a lawyer. He had a law degree from the University of Vienna. He loved our legal system. And he said, obviously, it worked worked much better than the system in his country of Austria, where it fell apart when the Nazis took over. And he thought our system in Washington of checks and balances was the greatest form of government ever established. And he made advice and consent to really to support the way our system works. That film is the shrewdest depiction of how our government works. And everybody well, in Washington should see that film now, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, well, and, and, you know, over the recent, over recent years, uh, during Donald Tr- uh, Trump's presidency, he appointed three people to the Supreme Court. And for people who, who don't know, advise and consent is the story of a Senate confirmation of the Senate confirmation process. And, and you really get an, a, a, an intimate view of how that process works. Oh, yeah. We're used to the version on TV. You know, the, right. Now, this isn't TV. No. This is how it really works. This is behind the scenes. Backstage. These are behind-the-scenes, high-stakes Washington negotiations. And, and all of the wrangling and some of the political dirty tricks and all of the stuff that can roll it. into it. Uh, even down to, and, and one of the things that's fascinating about that story, the, both the book and the film, is the idea that um, for all of the wrangling, um, the president dies and the nomination drops because... As the vice president assumes to the presidency, he decides he wants to pick his own choice. Absolutely. And, and so it really teaches, you know, all of the what-ifs in in that process. Just as, and I'm sure Otto Preminger must have been really fascinated by the, uh, the, the case in Anatomy of a Murder, because that was the first time that the concept of an insanity plea, at, at the time they were calling it uh, irresistible impulse, was yes. ever effectively used in a trial. Yes, and yeah, and it and it was effectively used. Yes, and it was very effectively used. So it's an, it's 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 an extraordinary. Uh, where he took so many chances on subject matter that nobody else would do. And what he does is he does not allow you to have easy answers. Right. There's no guilt and innocence in anatomy of a murder is complicated. And in advice and consent, the system itself is stronger than any individual. The last shot of that film is a high-angle shot of the Senate chamber itself. Everybody leaves, but the Senate chamber remains. What, what ingredients did a story have to have to attract Otto Preminger and, and convince him to make it into a movie? When he became an independent filmmaker... Um, 
he chose his own material when he was under contract to Fox. He sometimes took assignments that he had to take. When he was on his own, he wanted to make films about social issues. He was he had a great social consciousness. So he wanted to make films about politics, about institutions, about the American system. And he wanted his films, the, the Catholic Church and the Cardinal, which is an excellent film, he wanted to make films that didn't give easy answers and provoked further discussion. It's almost as if at the end of the film, he wanted the audience to remain and to talk about the topics that the films had introduced. I'll never forget, Tom, uh, by the way, it was an extraordinary event. Um, when Anatomy of a Murder first opened, uh, and I saw it at, at, at a movie palace in Beverly Hills, I think the first week of the run, after the show that I had attended, who was standing in the lobby of that theater but Otto Preminger asking really? the audience, did you agree with the verdict handed down in the film? Really? He wanted to know, did you agree with the verdict? And he engaged in a discussion with the viewers. He would appear, I was told by the management later, that he would appear during the first few weeks of the film deliberately to engage in that kind of exchange with audience members. Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating and, and, uh, and, and indicative of an artist who is really engaged with how their art is being perceived by people. Absolutely. He wanted to know. He knew that the verdict uh, that was handed down in the film was a controversial one. He took, when he was invited to Russia, he took Anatomy of a Murder with him. And the Russian audience said, why bother to have the trial? The man was obviously guilty, and he should have been executed. Or at least paid his lawyer bill. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Preminger said to his Russian hosts, that's not how we do things in America. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. More about Otto Preminger from film professor and author Foster Hirsch. Straight ahead. <laughs>
Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hi, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. If you like talk radio that makes you think without telling you what to think, check out our whole show weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern at TomSumnerProgram.com. Selected segments are also available on this and other radio stations, but you can hear us anytime. Daily editions of the Tom Sumner Program repeat online all day and night on the show's website. Past shows can be found in the website archives. My long-format interviews with New York Times best-selling authors, photographers, and writers from National Geographic, as well as artists, musicians, candidates, and elected officials are made possible by listeners like you. Support the Tom Sumner Program and Civilized Talk Radio. Visit our website at TomSumnerProgram.com and become a member. You can make a one-time gift or become a sustaining patron by taking the link to the Tom Sumner Program Patreon page. Thanks for listening and thanks for your support. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey. Our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. 
Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. More about Otto Preminger from film professor and author Foster Hirsch, straight ahead. He appreciated our freedoms because he said, uh, having to flee Nazi Austria, he saw what happened to a country when freedom was taken away from its citizens. Did, um, did he have a good sense of humor? Oh, absolutely. He didn't make his, his, his comedy films are not very good. Um, and the best films are very serious films. But he himself was very dry and droll and witty. Well, and you know he was—he had that that reputation of being Otto the Terrible, and his films are um, kind of well, they're serious to be sure. And they're serious to be sure. He he was not a comic filmmaker. He did not have a light touch. He didn't have a light touch. But in the real world, he was very funny. Uh, Reedy Gam, who appears in his film Such Good Friends, and who was a friend of mine in New York, said that on the set, Otto was just terrible to her. He screamed. She she did. She stood one inch away from her mark on the set, and he treated her as if she committed some capital offense. And then the next night, she saw him at a cocktail party, and he was the most charming man in the world. How could someone who takes their work that seriously be enticed to play Mr. Freeze in the 1960s Batman TV series? <laughs> he, there you have the sense of humor. He, he originally, originally, after he got his law degree, and he had a bargain with his father, if he got the law degree, could he pursue a career in the theater? And the father said yes. And... He was trained originally as an actor. And then he realized that as an actor, he had a very limited range. And he said, in a self-deprecating way, how many Nazis can you play? Yeah. So he was not ever going to be cast in a wide range of roles. And his most famous performance is as the Nazi commandant in Stalag 17. Do you know that film? I do know the film, and I was just trying to recall him in it. I'm, you know, I'm going to have to rewatch some of these. Rewatch now. it. He's the Nazi commandant. He plays it beautifully with a great deal of irony and humor and acidic wit. Um, but how many of those kinds of parts could he play? And so he enjoyed acting. But he realized his calling was to be a director and a producer, that as an, act, as an actor, he had very limited opportunities. Well, I hadn't thought about uh, the limitation of being typecast as a, as a Nazi. Um, I just thought all actors want to direct. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. He realized that, he, that his skills were other than in acting. He was good, at, at, but, it, but what happened is it sort of, very quickly devolved into self-caricature, and he was smart enough to see that that was where he was heading, and he didn't want to. But when he took the role late in life that you refer to, that was just for fun, and he got well paid. 
Well, and it was and and it was in its own way a terrific performance. In fact, in its own way, I agree. Terrific. All those all those um, you know big stars that played those guest villains on that series. Um, you know, it, it's just amazing. Frank Gorshin and um, and of course Cesar Romero. As, yeah, and they were all terrific, and they they saw a good opportunity when it was presented to them. And, and, and Caesar Romero was just so over the top with his portrayal of the Joker. I mean, it was a masterpiece. But wasn't wasn't Otto over the top too? Of, well, they all were. The whole they all show, were. That was part of the point. The, yeah, the show was you know completely uh, caught up in being campy. Yeah. Tom, I did want to mention one thing that your that your listeners, I feel they should know about, about Otto. It was Otto Preminger who broke the blacklist. Yeah, I was I was going to bring that up because it, it um, it, and I was going to ask you. There were a couple of things um, along that same line. He hired black actors before anyone else did he hired people from the blacklist which no one else was doing and and i it it just ties into what you said earlier foster about if he wanted to do something he just did it he did it and he he was a man of great conviction and great he had sincerity People thought sometimes he exploited controversial issues because it was good box office. Yes, it was, and he was a showman. But it was also a, 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 a sincerely held conviction. He was against censorship, truly against it. <laughs> uh, I can almost hear him saying, you know, that uh, it's the right thing to do, and the fact that it made a lot of money doesn't bother me at all. Exactly. So you have, when you're dealing with Otto, you have to hold two ideas. They can be antithetical, but you have to hold two ideas at the same time. So when he released The Moon is Blue in 1953, it had words at the time like Virgin and Seduce. And the production code, the, the, it, the film was not going to get the production code because they asked him to remove words. He said, I won't do that. That's censorship. He released the film without the code, and it did very well. Then he released Man with the Golden Arm on the forbidden subject of drug addiction without the code. It did very well. Otto, on his own, was responsible for opening up uh, American films to a wider range of subject matter and to the end of the production code. He took a heroic stance. He could have lost a fortune. And then he hired Dalton Trumbo to write Exodus. And Dalton Trumbo, who'd been blacklisted, one of the Hollywood Ten, and Otto said, I'm giving the man credit. His name is going to appear on the film. His political ideas, I happen not to agree with them, but frankly, they're none of my business. He wrote a very good screenplay, and he deserves to have his name on the film. When Exodus opened and it said, Screenplay by Dalton Trumbo, not a front or a pseudonym, that officially ended the blacklist. Yeah, that's it, that's absolutely amazing. And and nine months later, Kirk Douglas said Dalton Trumbo wrote the screenplay for Spartacus. Kirk Douglas did the right thing, but Kirk Douglas, late in life, claimed that it was he who broke the blacklist. He did not. 
Otto announced in January, Kirk Douglas in September. Yeah, that's a, that's a amazing. How would Preminger have described himself? That's a good question. He didn't. He didn't inject himself into his films the way that uh, some people have done, and of course, Alfred Hitchcock comes to mind. You know, always having those little cameos. And yes, no, quite the opposite. He was. His style is very objective and detached, almost serene. He was a man who exploded, but his film style is very controlled, and. He does not insert himself. He's not Orson Welles with lots of fancy technical work. His style is long takes, elegant camera movement, long shots, very few close-ups, very little editing. Not fashionable in today's filmmaking arsenal, um, but, he, but, but very controlled. I think he would have thought of himself as somebody who had to be in charge. He would have recognized his autocratic tendencies. The man who would be king, that's why I named the, the book that. I think he thought of himself as king-like. He was born to great wealth in, uh, in, uh, to an Austri a Jewish-Austrian family, and he had great wealth his entire life. And with that wealth came a kind of genius and a kind of privilege and power, and he used all of it. But he was very, very aware of his gifts and very secure in his opinions. He was a very confident guy, very confident. How, would, how did he come to embrace um, controversy from a life of privilege? He had a moral conscience. And you mentioned he cast black actors before there were very at the time there were very few opportunities for black performers he cast Carmen Jones all black cast Porgy and Bess very controversial all black cast he made a star of Dorothy Dandridge she was the first black actress to receive an Oscar nomination for best actress because of how Otto handled her directed her presented her and he and was a great champion of black issues and and that's great to uh, acknowledge because he didn't put them in roles that became typical of black performers. No, you no, know they were didn't. always maids or comic relief or you know sidekicks or something. No, um, it, but he, he treated he, them he, like real people. Absolutely, and, and handled them very well. Porgy and Bess is a bit separate. That's very controversial, and it's also a film that probably will never be seen again, but that's another story. But then even in a later film that's not so well-known called Hurry Sundown, which deals with racial issues and divisions in the South, and Jane Fonda says one of my best performances, she's right. It's, it's really a very good and underrated film, and it deals with issues that are very uh, pertinent today. And, and Otto was decades ahead of the, of the time. It's interesting when there's somebody like Otto Preminger. Um, you know, we were talking about 
actually sort of the the structure and politics and and so on of things like you know the the verdict in anatomy of a murder or you know the way that advising consent played out and all of that but by getting inside he was not only ahead of his time but he saw these things in a different way and he wanted us to see them in a different way he loved dealing with institutions the catholic church and the cardinal the Navy, the Department of the Navy, in an arm's way. He liked institutions. After all, Exodus is about the birth of a nation. How is a nation formed? Well, that film tells you. So he liked these big, epic canvases, and he took, he examined institutions and structures, and he wanted his films to lead to further discussion. And I, I felt, and I think in my uh, by preface to the, the new edition, I said, Otto Preminger is somebody you're never finished with. I found that even after I had published the original uh, hardcover edition, I was still interested in his work. I went back to re-see the films and had new thoughts about them. His best work asks us to go back. In a sense, you're never finished with Otto Preminger. He was that smart and that ahead of the curve. He he really is a, a, a fascinating character. Um, has there been much written about him? Did he do much press? Um, you know, obviously he was well known, and, and you have to promote the movies. There's a reason they call it show business. But he was a showman. He did a lot of press in his lifetime, and he was... For a, fa- a man that famous and that powerful, his office door was always open. I had students a number of years ago, I'm a teacher at Brooklyn College, as you mentioned. They, Out of the blue, they wrote a note to him. His office was at the Columbia Building on Fifth Avenue in New York. I had a very enterprising student, Richard Friedman. I remember him all these years. He wrote out of the blue to Otto, could I come and interview you? Took a lot of courage for an undergraduate to write to the famous Otto Preminger. And Preminger said, absolutely. When do you want to come? Oh, that's His amazing. office door was open to everyone. You wrote him a note, you'd hear right back. You called him, he'd call you back. He spoke to everyone. He was not standoffish. On the street, if people recognized him, he'd stop and talk. And, and if you worked for him, he could snap your head off. <laughs> well, that's just it. Because of the, the stories of his uh, dictatorial directing style, um, you know, you, you think of him as being kind of an ogre. So it's hard for people to imagine, I would think, without reading your book, um, that there was this softer, compassionate side to him. And, by the way, he was a great husband and a great father. He was a family man. He was wonderful to his parents, to his brother Ingo. He had a deep sense of family loyalty and obligation. His children swear by him. He was a great father. His wife said she was the, he was the best friend she ever had. He was very loyal. 
a complicated guy. And yet, yes, he could snap your head off. <laughs> <laughs> and you never knew. Even his wife said you never knew when he might turn on you. And he turned on her. But it, 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 it was quick. He would let it out, and then he'd move on. But isn't that at the heart of, of a lot of people who have passion that runs as deep as his did? Probably so, but I also think there may have been a chemical imbalance. Really? I think there may have been something wrong uh, chemically in his system because the temper was extreme, and his brother said nobody else in the family had that. It was not a family trait at all. He was almost embarrassed. And his wife, uh, who died recently, told me that she realizes Otto's temper hurt his legacy. That his, that his inability to control that temper actually uh, scarred his reputation. And she said, it actually hurts me to say that, but I realize it's the truth. It's amazing. An amazing character, an amazing subject for a book. What's next for Foster Hirsch? I've just turned in to my editor at Knopf a big book on Hollywood in the 50s called All This and Cinemascope 2. <laughs> Very good. Out next winter. Maybe we can talk about it. I hope so. 2022. I hope so. I, I am such a fan of... Uh, of old movies and um oh good and the in, golden in the 50s they made a lot of good ones yeah they did and they they absolutely did made some pretty good ones in the film noir era too absolutely um, and film noir is goes from the early 40s to the late 50s so i do cover a 50s noir in 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 the new book very much so well, that sounds like fun, Foster, and thank you so much for spending this time with me. I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Um, Foster, do you have a website? I'm embarrassed to say I don't, but somebody's going to make one for me six months before all this in Cinemascope 2 is published. So when I talk to you next time, I'll have a website. But people could probably uh, Google you, um, Foster Hirsch, and there's probably a site where people can find out a little bit more about you uh, at uh, Brooklyn College, for example. There, I, I think, I, I've never looked myself up, but I think there is Google information. Somebody said there's even a Wikipedia in a piece. I've never looked it up. But there, there are things out there about me. I, I don't look, but they're, they're out there. But I'm actually going to have a website by the next time we speak. All right. Well, Foster, thanks so much, and keep up the good work. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. All right. Take Bye -bye. care. That was uh, Professor of Film from Brooklyn College and the author of Otto Preminger, The Man Who Would Be King. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. <laughs> Sumner 
thetomsumnerprogram.com thetomsumnerprogram.com Wash my hands I don't touch my face I stay at home Shelter in place Social distance Don't go to work I wear a mask and gloves I Stay away from church I avoid old folks And should I sneeze I do it in my elbow Heart. That is the room, and I pray for the day the kids can go back to school. I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors And I'm sick of what I see Two more weeks of quarantine Will be the death of me The death of me I risk a trip To the grocery store To buy TV and a few things more But when I get there All I can find Is 16 honey buns And some mad dog wine I'm washing my hands Like a raccoon with OCD I've watched Hulu Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, cause I'm sick of what I see. Yeah, two more weeks of this quarantine's gonna be the death of me. The death of me. You know, they say this is war. But we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over like, Yes, dear. Yes, dear. At breakfast, I meant to say, honey, please pass me the pepper. Well, what slipped out was, you crazy woman, you've ruined my life. <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized as <laughs> soon as I regained consciousness. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh.
This is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Jonah Pody. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The Unknown Comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. Hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. The uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. She wheels her wheelbarrow through streets that are narrow. Her barrow is narrow, her hips are too wide. So wherever she wheels it, the neighborhood feels it. Her girdle keeps scraping the homes on each side. In Dublin's fair city, where girls are so pretty, my Molly stands out because she weighs 18 stone. That's 256 pounds. I don't mind her fat, but... It's not only that, but she's cockeyed and muscle-bound, Molly Malone. I know a man, his name is Lang, and he has a neon sign. And Mr. Lang is very old, so they call it Old Lang Sign. Oh, what have you done, Billy Sal, Billy Sal? Oh, what have you done, charming Billy? You took almost every cent from the U.S. government, which you spent on fertilizer, which is silly. All day, all night, Cary Grant That's all I hear from my wife is Cary Grant What can he do that I can't? Big deal, big star, Cary Grant Oh, the moon is bright tonight upon the car wash so I'm having my Volkswagen washed again But the way things go with me, the way my luck runs Just as soon as they're finished, it will rain <laughs> On top of old Smokey, all covered with hair Of course I'm referring to Smokey the Bear 
Here's a famous old folk song that you all know entitled Aura Lee. Every time you take vaccine, take it orally. As you know, the other way is more painfully. My grandfather's clock was the best ever made by the Timex Company. Just like the clock John Cameron Swayze displayed last night on the old TV. Oh, it works underwater so perfectly, and it still makes a ticking sound. Which my grandfather tried only this afternoon, and that's how the old man drowned. Do not make a stingy sandwich pile the cold cuts high. Customers should see salami coming through the right. Oh, I diet all day and I diet all night. It's enough to drive me bats. Got no gravy or potatoes, cause the whole refrigerator's full of polyunsaturated fats. Fairly well, Metrical, and the others of that ilk. Let the diet start tomorrow, cause today I'll drown my sorrow in a double malted milk. When you go to the delicatessen star, don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. I repeat what I just said before. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Oh, buy the corned beef if you must. The pickled herring you can trust. And the locks puts you in orbit. A-okay. But that big hunk of liverwurst has been there since October 1st. And today is the 23rd of May. So when you go to the delicatessen star, don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. It'll make your insides awful sore. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. have been nothing if not vague well then you've got to trust the CDC and listen well unless you want to bid our free society farewell there is a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us in a stretch of quarantine that lasts until July a super bad transmittable contagious awful virus and if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better... <coughs> now, back in 1918, influenza... 
Windsor had its run, but half the docks were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say, if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super damn important that we practice isolation, cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. We'll overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. If we don't do it, then we're all gonna die. And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart. Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start. If you get bored, just think of the immunocompromised. Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilized. Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. If we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, the last until July. Oh, super bad, transmittable. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. From the Thompson Well, that flew by, not just that little bumper, but uh, the whole show, and uh, the weekend's just getting started, but you got to start it early with the Tom Sumner Program, wrapping things up for the week on this Friday edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks uh, again to my guests, um, including, uh, well... I really enjoyed talking with Foster Hirsch, the author of Otto Preminger, The Man Who Would Be King. Before that, in the uh, second hour of our three-hour tour, we had back-to-back interviews, both of them fascinating. Author Lily Anderson in her book, uh, which is um, in the new adult category of fiction. That's new adult category of fiction. Uh, with her book, The Throwback List, Lily Anderson um, has protagonists in the 18 to 30 age bracket. And uh, before that, or I guess after that, we talked with Katie Darrell, who is the host of the humorous uh, countdown music show, The Top Ten Revealed, on Access TV. They kicked off their new season on Halloween, and it runs every Sunday at 8 o'clock. Oops. Calling a little too soon there, bud. Um, Let's see, what else did we have? Uh, Well, Lily Anderson talking about her show on uh, Access Television. Or Katie uh, Darrell, rather. I'm getting confused. I had so many people on the show. The Top Ten Revealed is the name of the show. Sundays at 8 o'clock on Access TV. And we started out this morning talking about universalism, seeing the light, the experience of oneness, and uh, a new book by Nicholas Hager, The Selected Letters, or Selected Letters, I guess. Anyway, uh... I guess I need a weekend off. Actually, it's going to be a little longer for me. We have an encore uh, edition of the Tom Sumner program on Monday. Sunday's my birthday, so I'm taking Monday off, folks. But uh, tune in anyway. Good night, everybody. Have a great weekend. It's a live variety show. 
We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.